Welcome to the Founders with Purpose podcast, where I interview early stage founders about their mission, why they chose startup life, and how they will get where they're going. I'm your host, Darian Parrish, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, we have another episode here with Panos, the co-founder of Zenus or Zenus AI. Panos, please tell tell us more about your company and uh, why you started it and why you're passionate about the mission. Hi, Darian. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I do have to point out that I was born and raised in Athens, hence the accent for anybody that is listening. I will do my best to pace myself and enunciate. So at Zenus, what we do, we bring the power of AI to every camera. So we have a vertically integrated solution. This means the hardware component, the software, the AI models, the visualization engine, the dashboard, the analytics. It is an end-to-end, out-of-the-box solution. Uh, And this is important. I was speaking with an investor a little bit over a year ago. And what he told me, it really resonated with me. He said, everybody understands the power of computer vision. Everybody gets it. But the company that is going to be able to make the technology as easy to use, as the light bulb that goes on when I go at night on my fridge and open the door and the light bulb turns on, if you can make it that simple, that's the company that's going to win. And this is one of the key ingredients in what we do. Uh, we have a truly plug-and-play device. We send one of our units to one of our partners. And he said, Panos, when I'm getting a new product, is usually plug-and-pray. Yours is truly plug-and-play. <laughs> and, and this is one very important differentiation. In addition to that, uh, you know, our belief is that companies... Uh, technology companies developing the technology share some responsibility on the way it's being used. So just developing a technology and saying, I don't care how it's being used, it's not my responsibility, it's not uh, my thing to worry about, we don't agree with that. We think that when you're developing a new technology, it is your responsibility to include the right safeguards built in by default and make sure that when it's being applied in the real world, it has a positive impact. So in a nutshell, we have a vertically integrated solution for computer vision. We are starting with facial analysis, but of course, as we move forward, we're going to add more and more different types of uh, analysis and computer vision. That's great. And I, I appreciate that intro because I think this is such a interesting space, especially passionate for me on the computer vision side and the AI models that, that can be run here. And um, it's nice to hear you acknowledging the potential issues, you know, ethical issues uh, with computer vision and the facial recognition. I think um, taking a proactive and positive stance to that early is is something uh, we welcome here. Maybe I just to be sort of a uh, do a deep dive here and get get a little critical on this. How how is it that you're able to do a better job on this than some of the other folks that you know would presume to be ethical as well? Um, uh, what is what is the secret sauce um, to really ensuring uh, that Zenus is is the ethical solution? It is not one thing. It's a combination of different things, uh, and that's very very important. By the way, to your point, 
when we're talking to people about what we do, we usually get one of two reactions. We get, wow, that's so cool. I don't care about privacy. Just do whatever you can to give me a better experience to optimize my journey. And then you have the other people who are very, very scared and very, very concerned. And they are both valid points. There's a lot of opportunity for good, but also we have to be cautious about things that can go wrong. So I, I will not talk about what other people do. Uh, I would like to focus on how we do in our approach. So the first thing that we do our technology, we do not recognize and identify people. So when somebody is using our technology and they use one of our edge processing units, we do not recognize or identify the people. We can analyze hundreds of faces at the same time. We analyze on average five to 10 frames per second. So we get multiple capture, multiple samples for each individual and a lot of people. And we use this information for group level insights. So we don't try to tie to a specific individual, rather to the group level. So one, one of the metrics is you're a business owner and you want to know how many people are actually coming into your store. This is something you can start understanding. You want to get a better idea about the demographics and who is your key audience. That's something you can start capturing and measuring. You want to see people are having a good or negative experience in certain places, you know, at the front desk, at the exit area, and so forth. That's something, again, you can get on a group level, not on an individual level, on a group level. So that, that's the first component. Yeah, I was, I, 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 sorry, no. I was just going to interject for a moment because uh, you, you got my the wheels turning here on these <laughs> cases. I, I think, you know, you talked about being able to understand emotion and there's been uh, some work done here to optimize meetings, understanding how to make them more productive. Uh, I, I could see this being used to survey the room or even here on, you know, on, on a video call and see who's who's maybe falling asleep or is has their interest peaked by some of the uh, discussions from maybe maybe it's an event, the moderator, we can see if you have a good moderator, um, or even in education where you have a big lecture hall um, or a big online lecture and you want to make sure the students are engaged. Are, are those valid use cases for this? These are absolutely valid use cases. Frankly, our challenge is not having a shortage of use cases and value is finding which are the most important ones and starting from them. And uh, to uh, piggyback on what you said about the events industry, we have done a lot of deployments there. We have worked with the UK Treasury. We have done deployments with a lot of uh, Keller Williams, lots of different companies. And uh, I, I can mention a few of the results, which are very, very interesting. So for example, in, in a few of the conferences, we have seen some of the breakout sessions. It is the same speaker giving the same content back to back to three groups of people. So you have the same person, same presentation, three groups of people. And you can see that the sentiment, the positive sentiment of the people and how much they enjoy and connect with the, with the content, it goes down over time. And this is mostly because the speaker doesn't get a break between different content. If you change the content or if you add break, you don't see this pattern, which is very, very interesting. Uh, the second thing which we have observed across multiple events is that usually when you have a male presenter, not always, but usually when you have a male presenter, the male audience, because we can see the positive sentiment by sex, you can see that the male audience most of the time have a higher uh, positive reception of the content versus the female. If it is a female speaker, the female audience uh, engages and connects more. And we had a few sessions there was both a male and female person and the two lines between the male and the sex audience, they were almost touching and seeing this with data it's really, really mind-blowing. So yeah, there's definitely a use case there. 
retail, experiential venues, escape rooms. As I said, there's no shortage of use cases. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And, uh, you know, one might have thought of that at the beginning that, you know, there's all these things to address. And even you mentioned that the gender biases are self-biased to our own gender. Uh, there, there seems to be a lot of self-bias if you look on LinkedIn just with people's own companies or whatever that preferential uh, attachment might be. Let's let's go into why you started the company and how you saw this problem, because um, normally a startup wants to focus on a really specific niche or really specific problem uh, rather than saying, I, I know this can be used everywhere. I think eventually you want to get to those uh, adjacent markets, as Peter Thiel would say. But uh, wh what did you start? You know, what really sparked the vision early on and what was the starting point? That, that, that's a long discussion and that's something we should have over a glass of whiskey. <laughs> we have gone through so many different uh, uh, paths. Uh, I think the one thing that drives us, and it is not, it is the entire company because we have done a lot of work in our culture, is uh, distributing technology is a force for good. If you see throughout the, throughout the human history, you know, sometimes people will have the mindset that it's a zero-sum game. I win, you lose. There's no way, like, to get convinced you have to compromise privacy. Sometimes people, we think like that. But the reality is that technology has unlocked resources that benefit everyone. You can truly have win-win situations. And one of the things that drove us is the ability of taking in somewhat controversial technology and applying it in a way that doesn't leave room to people to say, oh, you know what? We can win, win, win without losing, without compromising anything. And I will tie it back to the original uh, question where you said how we do different, why do we say it's ethical? One component of that was that we are focusing on groups levels, so there's no concern about surveillance states or anything like that. But the second thing is, as I mentioned, we, we have a hardware component. So let's say that you, you, there's another company and they want to use a cloud-based system. What they would do normally, they would have to stream the video from the site, from the deployment site to the cloud, process the video there. Now, this has some technical and privacy implications. A lot of the time, we are using 2K video, 4K video, and so forth. If you want to transmit 4K video over the cloud, you require about 256 gigabytes of data per day per camera. It's a lot of bandwidth. In most cases, you cannot do that. If you had a magic wand and you, you didn't have internet issues at all, uh, then you have the cost. If you have to process so much video on the cloud, it gets very, very expensive very, very quickly. You can just go and type Azure, AWS pricing with GPU instances, and you will see what are the numbers we're talking about. And then you have to have all the infrastructure spinning up, uh, instances, and down, and so forth. The third component is privacy. When you are transmitting and potentially storing video, this is personally identifiable information. For better or worse, you are transmitting people's faces and you, they can be identified with that. So by using an edge computing device, this is a very, very small unit. It fits into your hands. We are processing the video at the point of collection. So what this essentially means is that the, the video is never stored in permanent storage. It's never transmitted anywhere. This small device is processing the video, extracting the high-level statistics, and that's the only piece of information we were touched. And when you do that, you don't have bandwidth requirements. So on our marketing material, 
we say that we are transmitting about two megabytes per day. In a lot of the tests, we are as low as one megabyte per week per camera, which is nothing. It's like a single email. Uh, you don't have the high costs, so you're making it feasible to deploy. And the third thing, you don't have the privacy concerns because you don't store video, you don't transmit video, you don't touch PII at all. You just get group-level statistics. Uh, it's a very, very clean and clear way of deploying the technology. And one question we get from people is, what if you change your mind? That's the beauty of it. Even if we change our mind and we somehow become evil, we cannot go back to any data. You cannot reconstruct the video. You cannot go back and see what was there. So there's no way to be able to use this information in a malicious way. <laughs> Great, and and I think uh, another question would logical question would be how how do you receive updates to the models? You know, maybe you do innovate on your uh, training models a bit, and uh, or even the production models on understanding the faces and what they mean and, and how to interpret that. Is that something that um, you deploy over an over the air update, or do you get new hardware? Uh, tell tell us about that. This is one of the things that makes me the most excited. Is that Right now, we are talking about facial analysis in particular. But the way we have developed the entire business is that we can deploy AI models with ease. So you can deploy the updates over the air. So let's say you have devices out in the field. If the company client wants to use a different AI model, for example, they want to add voice analysis, they want to add for security weapon detection, they want to get more fine grade details, and we can do object recognition for, I don't know, helping blind people, uh, helping identify products at retail stores and inventory management, anything you want, we can deploy a new AI model and give them the data and the analytics they want with all the benefits we mentioned, without storing or transmitting video, with, without having to worry about infrastructure, about bandwidth and so forth. It is a very, very scalable model. Great. And uh, going a little bit further on the business itself, maybe tell us about you know where, where things stand and uh, what kind of challenges you might have and how you make sure you push past those because this is a very uh, important mission. Uh, there's a lot to be understood here from this this data and, and that can be optimized. Uh, but you know no, no startups without challenges and, and I think uh, the listeners would love to hear what you're doing every day to make sure you break through those, uh, those walls. First of all, it's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, this means starting at 8.30 a.m. and working up, at, up until midnight, 1 a.m. straight. It's a lot of work. But at the end of it, it's, it's the team. So we were very, very careful in refining our processes on how we onboard the right team. You have to have alignment in mission. You have to have alignment in principle. You have to have understanding. Uh, we have a lot of differences in opinion, and we have a lot of debates. And there is never hard feelings afterwards. We just discuss it, we make a decision, and we move forward. That's very, very important. Uh, in terms of challenges, you know, you always have uh, different problems. You know, you're doing an update, you have to do the testing, uh, you have different hardware, you have different components, different requirements. Uh, we are taking a very data-driven approach for a lot of the things. So, for example, for onboarding new people in our team, we have a very structured interviewing process where we go step-by-step, uh, step, work with the people. And we, when we onboard them, we know that it is the right fit. Because early on, you want to avoid, uh, you know, we think of false negatives. Somebody that doesn't fit with the team, onboarding them. It's not good for you, it's not good for them. But beyond that, right now, as I mentioned previously, we have too many potential use cases. 
So at the beginning of the year, uh, we uh, we started doing customer discovery in different segments, uh, January through March, a lot of customer discovery. And, and I wanted to talk to you about one specific, one specific segment, retail. Our assumption was that the stores, the big box stores would be the best customer, but it turns out the brands themselves is the best customer. And the best way to approach them is through reseller agreements, through the e-commerce that support them. Uh, we don't have much time to go into details, but doing this kind of customer discovery means a lot of discussions. You don't sell anything, you just listen, you just listen, you just listen. And you ask questions and you ask questions and you ask questions. The thing is that a lot of the time when people talk to you and then they see what you do, they do want to use your service and we actually have many discussions like that. But having the ability to listen and discern where you have the most value, that's the most important thing. Because when you're building a product, you have to make sure it's built on solid fundamentals. You have to discern what is short-term revenue versus long-term value. Unless you deliver value to the clients, I don't care how many sales you will make in the next one to two years, you will never build a great company. I guess that's a reference to the book, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Uh, very, very great book. Uh, and I really, really like the principles in there. <laughs> yeah, I have to look over at myself because uh, Jim Collins is sitting around here somewhere. Uh, you know, not, not Jim Collins himself, but the book the book is here. Uh, I, I agree. that That's a great read. And I think um, I, I agree with the, the premise of your statement that uh, you know, build, building a great company is, is something that hopefully all listeners are aspiring to. And uh, really, uh, customer discovery, I think that's a great, great to hear you mention that and really thinking it through, especially in the retail space, there's, um, you know, I, I can see someone coming in and looking at the shelf and whether they're in Walmart or Target, uh, if they're looking at a bottle of Clorox versus a bottle of Lysol, uh, those brands, they want to know which, which one is exciting that customer more. And I think that that could be valuable. How in the, in that example, really quickly, can you mm -hmm. can you tell me where the camera would be? And because you know, mm -hmm. I, uh, I think this that's something that uh, in a big box store, it's hard to get these cameras everywhere. Is this something that goes specifically uh, near the front of the store or the end of an aisle? Uh, maybe talk about logistics there for a moment. Uh, I love this question because uh, I, I will share something very few people know about what we do. So in this case, we're deploying through the point of purchase displays. If you Google point of purchase display, you will see what it means. It's the cardboard uh, cells that they put at the end of the aisle. They put it in the center of a big area and so forth. These are called point of purchase displays. And what we do, we work with the companies that manufacture these uh, displays and we put the camera in there. So if you are a brand, so you can, you can think of any name and you have your product in, into the store, the only information you have is sales data. How many sales I made in the store? How many sales I made in this region? That's the only data you have. So by adding our camera, on one hand, they collected a lot of the analytics. How many people passed by and how many of them stopped? How long did they stay? How they were feeling? Was it men? Was it women? What was the age group? You get all of these insights and you build a complete marketing funnel. Online for digital marketing, e-commerce, you have all of this information. For in-store, you never did until today. So that's the first thing. The second thing, which is, in my opinion, is equally maybe even more exciting. What we do, and uh, we have NDAs, and I cannot, I cannot share all of the details there, but what you can do, you can create a personalized experience. Let me explain. You have a monitor, a TV monitor, like or, or, or 32 inch, whatever, 
and you can connect it with an HDMI cable to our device. And then the person who walks by, if it is like a male person of a certain age group, the display highlights an ad for this person. And maybe you can bring attention. It can be a vending machine, it can be lights, it can be whatever you want, uh, something like through a speaker, brings their attention to the product relevant to them. So what we are doing, we're creating personalized advertising in the physical world, like you do it online, but we do it in the physical world. And this gives on the brands on one way, on one hand, a lot of data to understand what works, what doesn't work and why, and they get it live. That's the other key. They get live data. They don't have to wait one week, five weeks, every 30 seconds, they get an update. And the second thing, they can increase their sales by targeting people more effectively to what is relevant to them. Yeah, I, th I think that's great. Right? And it, you'll be the uh, the Google search ads for the physical world, the Zenus search ads or Zenus display ads, we'll call it. <laughs> um, I, th I think that's phenomenal. And, and as as we move into the, the final round here, uh, I just wanted to give you the floor and, and ask if there's anything we haven't discussed yet that you think is important for people to understand or know about Zenus or your journey uh, and or your mission. There's two things that come to mind. The first one is that we made a decision and we have opened a, a round of funding to the public. This means anybody can go and invest in Zenus. They can go to our, on our website or they can go on startengine.com slash Zenus and they can invest. And, and this is very, very important because up until recently, most, most of the times you know, or frequently, a lot of the startup investments, they happen behind closed doors. Now you have the opportunity to go and participate in the journey early on. And we have hundreds of people that have invested, thousands of people that follow the campaign. That's one. The second thing, and this goes back to you know, the challenges, questions, and what was very, very pivotal in us going from understanding the market to going to a very, very interesting trajectory uh, is that if I, I would like to excuse my language, but I just pulled and we pulled our head out of, out of our own asses. So it doesn't matter what you think or what you know to be good or better or right for that matter. It doesn't matter what you think. So coming from an academic background, I was like, this is the best way of doing things. This is a big problem. Let's solve it this way. The reality is at the end of the day, the market has its own voice, its own needs, its own, you know, preconceived conceptions, what they think about the future and that's the only thing that matters trying to convince people about something they don't already know to be true is very very hard you are you're fighting you know you're going against the current it's much much better if you just listen and service what people need you should have your red lines so there are cases that some comments asked us to do things we didn't feel comfortable with and we said no and this is where it's important to have a very clear set of values but you just have to listen. What you think is not important. Your job is to listen and deliver solutions quickly, efficiently, effectively, that work and are reliable. That's your job. You are there to serve. And if you are in any leadership position, likewise, you're serving your customers, you're serving your team. Whenever somebody, a person is overwhelmed, you just go and help them. You do anything that the other people don't want to do. That's the whole mindset of how we work at Zenus. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we have such a strong bond in the team. And if you go and you talk to our partners, resellers, clients, they, they always have very, very good things to say about us. 
That's phenomenal here. It sounds like you're doing it right at Zenus. Well, that, that wraps us up. Thank you so much, Panos, for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do too. This is very <laughs> exciting. Uh, I will make sure we include links in the show notes to uh, come find you online. And uh, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Darren. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Please be sure to follow Founders with Purpose and tune in again soon.